Let me ask you a question. How do you feel about your priorities right now? Let me ask you another one. How well do you really understand what motivates you? Well, in this episode of our open book series, Sandy and Dr. Jeremy Blanchard, who's a system CMO in Mississippi, give you the insights you need from the book, How Will You Measure Your Life? And Jeremy's insights are based on not only reading the book, but applying it as a way to navigate his life. In essence, Jeremy's presenting a way to define your North Star based on your motivators. And he's getting real on this episode. He's talking about deciding to leave a health system because of a cultural mismatch. He's talking about how he went on a cold calling spree, cold calling 16 influential leaders around the world for advice. Without further ado, let's get into it. Well, let's jump in. I was thinking about this conversation and really excited about it. I think in one part, what I know about you is being so service oriented. You're also extraordinarily creative and very real. And that combined with the fact that you've worked in multiple roles, you're currently in a system CMO role. So I'm excited to see what kind of insights we might pull out and um, what kind of takeaways we'll have. So Before naming the book, I'd love to have you describe a scenario, maybe a story, a challenge, or some kind of experience you've had in life where something was just not working. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm sure we all have many of those to draw from, but for me in this present conversation and really in my professional life, there's one super significant moment. And that was in 2012. I had left my critical care practice where I had built a practice from scratch, actually taking it to number one in the nation of like-size ICUs, turned around a hospitalist uh, program that the last four medical directors had uh, left in one way or another. And you know, really done a lot of kind of significant things within a small community, but had seen a leadership decision that I um, I just couldn't accept and decided to go and get a master's and step up into the executive suite since I felt not only did the physician's voice need to be there, but the ears of a a loving, mindful person had to be there and one who could hear the voiceless, the patient, the families many times the providers and nurses. So that drove me to want to be a leader. So I did that and I went to become a CMO in Peace Health at one of their larger hospitals. And I was the first CMO they'd ever had. They called it a different position, but vice president of quality and, and such. But when I got there, initially I'd been courted to help take the, the institution to a Baldridge. And um, and I'd gone in incredibly transparent and vulnerable, which I think is a strength unless you're blind to that transparency. I think you have to be wise in the middle of, of being transparent and vulnerable. And I began to question whether I should have ever become a CMO because when I went in, I went all in. So I stepped out of clinical practice and there was a period of time and about nine months out of clinical practice where I thought maybe maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should go back. And I had actually sought coaches in the past. And so the CEO and I met and my mom had had a huge stroke uh, about two months earlier. And the CEO said, you know, prior to my mom getting sick, I had been, you know, going like gangbusters. But now she felt that I, I was not actually 
functioning to the level she wanted me to. And that was the first time in my whole career and actually the last time in my whole career that anybody has ever said something like that to me. And so it was very significant. It was very personal. And I felt very personal about it. And so I asked for a coach and she offered a coach. And with the coach, which actually I got in October of 2013, and we made a decision that, or I made it, I guess, by Valentine's Day of 2014, I would decide, do I want to be a CMO or not? And as I went through that journey very quickly, probably three weeks into that journey, I realized that I wanted to be a CMO, but I couldn't work in that culture. And that was the first time I had sort of had to say, you know, I can't make it in this culture. I need to go somewhere else. Before that, I'd always tackled the culture and sort of taken it on and really bent it to my will because I had such a pure goal. It was to bring voice to the voiceless, care for all people as as unique human beings and hold people accountable to excellence, including myself. That wasn't going to work there. That was a very challenging time for me caused me to sort of revisit my journey and what gave me joy, what gave me dignity, and what was fulfilling in my professional life. Okay. I'm really appreciating the way you're kind of marrying some new concepts. There's a lot of talk these days about vulnerability. I love the way you say how important it is to be wise in the middle of transparency and vulnerability. And then also that notion of culture. There's so much talk about culture. I'm really appreciating the way you're saying We can try and tackle culture, and yet there might be points where it's just not a match for us. And so how much courage that takes to really internalize that, to really work with like, so now what? I've, I've worked so hard to get here. If this isn't working, now what? So let's go in now for the big reveal. Talk to us a little bit about a concept that helped you navigate this and the title of a book that supported you. Yeah, so this was the beginning of of really, I guess not the beginning, it was a mile marker on my journey. So Sandy, I look at my life as a journey with no interest in destination. So I really see graduating from medical school, graduating from residency, graduating from fellowship, getting my master's, et cetera. I see those as mile markers. Now I didn't always, I learned this lesson in a very challenging way. When I finished my fellowship, because as you know, I was the first one to ever graduate from college in my family and, and that kind of thing. I, that's what I wanted to be. And so when I achieved it, I was really hollow because now what? Because I've been so caught up in fighting to achieve it, I had forgotten at times just to live. And so I sort of made a deal with myself that I would never be that way again. And And my wife is incredibly supportive. So I also made the deal that I would watch for for doors that may be open to me and through my faith and and through my my belief in uh, opportunity and then have the courage to go through them and so I've done that a number of times and so when I left Peace Health my mom had gotten sick and that was as I'd stated and so I made a decision my wife and myself we decided to move back to Montana to be closer to our parents who were ailing and as I was in that role, I realized a lot of my career had been based on, since I got out of the military, had been based on startup and turnaround. And uh, although I was very good at it, it was hard to be fulfilled very often in that because it was such a long journey. With When I was at, in Washington and I built the intensive care unit with my team, and definitely was not all by myself, but I was the integral leader, I believe, with one other person. But as we built that intensive care unit, it was a 10-year time span. 
that's a long time span. You only got a couple of those in your career. And that was really a startup. And so I, I realized I wanted to make a bigger difference in the world, but I couldn't do it in certain environments I had chosen. So I couldn't do it in the one I had left at Peace Health. And when I got to Sisters of Cherry Leavenworth in St. James in Butte, Montana, there were some incredible people there, but but I really didn't have the influence at an institutional level to truly empower the people in that culture to be excellent because there were many different anchors. And so I began to decide if I'm going to change the world, I got to make a change myself. I got to have courage. But I didn't know what questions to ask. I, I only knew the questions that I knew. And I don't know how I came to that decision, but it was that's probably a really significant inflection point for me, recognizing and acknowledging I only knew the questions I knew and that there were really important questions. Probably the most important questions were the ones I didn't know. So I decided to, and I'm sort of romantic, so I decided to begin a new path and to blaze a new path, my own path on my journey. And so I called it the road to the new world. And so I decided that I was going to cold call people who had made incredible transitions in their life until I figured out enough of the questions that I could regroup and aim my life in the direction where I would make a bigger difference. So I began this road to the new world and I, it included 16 different cold calls in the end, many different attempts. Some people said no, but a lot of people said yes. And there was an Australian entrepreneur and a Calgary politician and a, a talent agent out of Kalamazoo, Michigan, and an entrepreneur in the U.S. And, and then a former CIO at HIMSS and a change agent out of uh, Kaiser Permanente. But one of the people that was really significant was a guy named David Logan, who's written a couple other books. In fact, it was hard for me not to choose those two. But I chose this book that he had shared with me, and it's called How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. And Clayton Christensen's written The Innovator's Dilemma and The Innovator's Prescription, and as well as Competing Against Luck, and is really, really a brilliant guy. He's a Harvard. He was, I, I believe he's passed away. He had cancer, and he had gotten out of Harvard and actually started a consulting group in Salt Lake. But he um, had this economics class he taught. And they use theories to be able to predict whether a company was going to do well or not. And this came about in the development of these theories through his experience with companies like Enron and others where they had graduated with him. He felt they had been good people. And then over the next years, he had watched them sort of lose their direction a little bit and then end up in trouble like the CEO of Enron. So David Logan had been in a huge car accident almost lost his life, was laid up for quite a while. And he, he re-looked at his life, he re-examined it, and he realized that he had not prioritized it in a way that was focusing on what really mattered to him, his family and some other things and the things he was trying to shape in the world. And so he changed his life. And so when I spoke to him, when I interviewed him and asked him what questions and stuff, he, he asked me a question. He said, the most important question I asked came from the title of this book, and it was, how will I measure my life? And that's where, that's where this came into play. He recommended I read it. And so my wife, being my partner, as well as my spouse, but really my life partner, we read it together. And so when I was getting ready for this podcast, I actually was thumbing through the book and I found I had recorded three 
motivators of my life. And it turns out, and this was, I read this in 2015, and it turns out these still are the same. And I just was going to read these real quick in this part, if it's okay. Please. This is in my wife's handwriting. That's why I can still read it. But it says, uh, Jeremy's motivators. One, making a difference, easing a group's pain. Two, journey to mastery, learning but never arriving. And three, an honorable vision or goal. And that's still exactly what gets me up in the morning. And uh, as you know, from our previous coaching relationship and doing a Hogan on me and all that kind of stuff, it's, uh, it's interesting how that's been consistent. And as I asked my wife, I said, well, how long has this been consistent? And she said, well, really, that's been consistent as long as I've known you. And as you alluded to in the beginning, I've been in pro football. I've been a national consultant. I've been a CMO in two other organizations. I've been in the military. I've been an intensivist, a hospitalist director, as well as an entrepreneur. And yet it's the exact same three motivators. I just didn't know enough to acknowledge them to let them guide me to my true north. Okay, we have a whole separate podcast on just those insights you offered. So many gems in there. I just want to highlight a couple things that touched me personally. One is the notion that your wife wrote those things down, maybe even more specifically that the two of you read that book together. How cool is that? Just through the lens of leadership and personal development to read a book together. The fact that you wrote those things down, I think can be so impactful. I'm really struck by how you combine courage with creativity to cold call people. That's just brilliant. I mean, I can't imagine just how fun that was for yourself and the other person. And then a couple of other gems in there that just really touched me is this whole notion that we only know the questions we know. That is just a game changer. It almost sounds like, you know, one of those thoughts from the Stoics, right? Like just... How do we get so present and allow ourselves to um, be open to learning? And then the last one or two that really struck me is how we can be really good at something, yet that's not fulfilling. And maybe the biggest gem I'm taking from this conversation so far is this notion that life is about the journey, not in the destination. And I hear that, Jeremy, all the time. And I, as I'm listening to you, I'm realizing how I still can get seduced into like, marking these milestones to measure my life. So it's such a good reminder to me here on this Monday morning. And I want to thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. There's two things I'd like to add to that conversation. So one is about the questions and the second is about the the journey. But I'll start with the journey. So the key about the journey is, is figuring out your motivators. Because When you choose to not make it a destination, sometimes that gains more power in your life when you focus on a not rather than when you focus on a a yes. It changes your pattern recognition, I believe. I think when you focus on the negative, you become a negative pattern recognizer. And we have a lot of risk as physicians and leaders of doing that because often as leaders, we're looking for flaws. We're trying to correct the mistakes. If you think about a journey of high reliability, you're looking for any deviation. You're not looking for all of the successful processes unless you actively make your mind do that. So I really feel the key to that destination conversation versus journey conversation is living in the moments. If you can live in the moments instead of the spaces in between, then the journey does become fulfilling. It does become moments of joy and challenge. And each 
moment becomes more embellished, I guess, um, and all your more senses click into play. And then the second thing about the questions is, you know, I had gone to the wrong wells. So when you when I was in the middle of trying to figure out, okay, I, I'm not feeling fulfilled. I wanted to talk to friends. I wanted to get their input. But the reality is, is they want to give you answers. Very few friends in intimate relationships are mature enough to step out of that and give you questions. They almost always give you answers. And I think that was probably the inflection point for me because Francie said that my motivators were the same, but then why were they not coming into play? And I think it's because I went to the wrong wells to drink. I went to places where people were willing to give me answers and they're very different than me, even my very best friends. And so answers were not what I needed. It was questions that I needed. And I, I can't emphasize enough how significant that statement has been in my life. Beautiful tip about in terms of any of our intimate relationships, the more we can listen and settle in, be curious and ask questions, how we can reframe and think of that as a gift rather than answering. It's so good. All right. So that empowers me to ask you the next question, which is speak just another sentence or two about why this book was so impactful to you. Maybe more specifically, talk a sentence or two about what the pain point was that it addressed for you. You know, the best way to, to talk about that, I think, is to tell you a story. So I had made my change and I was at a conference that a couple of my friends were at and one of them happened to be a chief medical officer in one of the other hospitals in the system I had just left. And I remember we were speaking and he was talking about how awful it was and how he felt like his voice didn't matter and that he was just getting beat up. And And I listened to him and I, I said, well, well, why don't you change? And he said, well, and he gave me a lot of not really what I considered to be solid reasons, but they felt pretty solid to him. Like, you know, I have an expensive house or, you know, I don't want to move my kids or, you know, it's not, it's not so bad. I can't stay. I could stay till it's not so bad. And this is what I told him. I said, I'm not going to say his name, but it, it, let's call him Joe. So I said, Joe, if you're standing in a dark room that smells like an outhouse and something warm and sticky and gross and smelly lands on your head, you are in the bottom of an outhouse and you need to leave. And it was interesting because I was being that friend that had not been helpful to me. Mm, <laughs> I, was, so good. I was giving him the answer. And it took me years to realize that because I thought that was so smart, you know, because I was like, <laughs> dude, you're getting pooped on, you know, get out. But, uh, but I didn't ask him the right questions that helped him with his journey. And, you know, I mean, I think part of that leads to him not really want to talking to me again, not because he doesn't like me, but because he doesn't want to face those answers the way that I see him in his life, even though it's I'm caring about him. But so for me, the thing that perseverated with me was, as I started to read the book, was a quote that comes very early on, and it's from Steve Jobs, and I'm going to read it. The only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. And if you haven't found it yet, keep looking. 
And I'm, there's more to the quote, and I'll say more in a second. But right there and then, I knew exactly when I read that. I got to go. And it was interesting because at the time, the Kalamazoo talent agent I had talked to, it, the question he had asked me is, can you truly change healthcare from an internal leadership position? And based on the positions that I had had, my answer was resoundingly no. And therefore, if my true north was to change the world to make it a better place, rather than just put out fire after fire after fire, then I needed to get out. And then the last part of the Steve Jobs quote is, don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. And I can tell you, and for the listeners, and you know this is true, Sandy, I have found it. I am working the most wonderful, beautiful job I've ever worked in my life, and it's inside healthcare, and it's working for a CEO who is the best leader I've ever worked for, and it is fulfilling. It is not easy, but it is fulfilling. And I'm living in a place I never thought I'd ever live, and all these things. It's it's just awesome. It is awesome. So awesome. And and by the way, you're one of the few system leaders I heard talk about having a blast in the midst of COVID because you were so in your genius zone of leading from the inside. So I just want to make a plug for that. So I guess the thing I'm wondering is people have lots of stacks of books, probably in their offices, at home, et cetera. If you were to put together, say, a cheat sheet for this book, what are maybe three takeaways you would put on it? as it relates to this book? Yeah, well, thanks. You know, these were pretty easy for me, actually. It was very obvious to me. So the first is life is a journey of mastery, but not a destination of arrival. And I use a visual, I'm very visual. And one of my very best friends owns a dojo, so martial arts, and he's been doing karate as long as I've been from college. So since probably 1970s. And his black belt He's retired his first one, but he keeps it. And I had him send me a picture because I think it's a great example of mastery. Because if you look at the acetope of mastery, you never actually re reach the uh, horizontal line. And his he talked to me about his black belt. And you can see, because he's rubbed his hands on it so many times, it's worn and tattered and the white shows beneath the black. And he, he said that that's very important why black belts are made that way because since you never reach mastery, you're always a beginner. You're, you're the mind of a novice. And by wearing through the black and seeing the white there, you realize that, that the more you know, the more you don't, you, you know that you don't know. So a lot of times when you're learning, you think you know a lot. And it isn't until you sort of get to that working closer to the mastery horizontal line that you realize that you don't know hardly anything. And I think that that's a really important point that is a comfort level, because when you know that, when you acknowledge that, there's no leadership model, but servant leadership, because everybody on my team is better at what they do than I'll ever be at what they do. So now if I can empower them, man, the potential of the team is, is, is much greater. The second is a really good journey is fun, challenging, and fulfilling. It's not always supposed to be easy, and it's not, it's not always supposed to be awful. But it, it is often fun and often challenging and fulfilling. And, you know, that the book gave me the opportunity to ask, was I on the right path? Had I, had I deviated? Was I bushwhacking? And the book helped me really figure out those motivations and articulate them, which for me was key because once I knew that it was okay that those were my motivators, now I could have confidence. And to be vulnerable, it's the antithesis of insecurity. 
So vulnerability requires confidence. So I had to have confidence in what motivated me and being okay with it. And I've done a pretty good job of that because I know it isn't power or money because I've you know taken pay cuts, but I've also had to accept very high pay, recognizing that many times that's the value other people have placed in you. And then the other thing was, is like any good journey, I have to learn the lessons again and again. So I forget or I get arrogant or something. So I read parts of this book every few years, and I think I'll end that this part of it with my intensivist prayer. And it's, dear Lord, let me be humble so you don't have to humble me. And when you do humble me, let me learn from my mistakes so I may teach others so they never have to feel my pain. And I think that brings the whole thing back. The book helps you define your motivators. It helps you be confident in being on a journey rather than a destination, which allows you to be vulnerable and therefore be empowering and an excellent servant leader with the acknowledgement that you have to be humble and you're going to learn some of these lessons again and again, and you have to be kind to yourself. Oh, I just am breathing, embodying all of this. I'm so thankful for this conversation. I'm taking away so many things personally. I think the top two or three that are on my mind is number one, just remembering the gift of questions. The second one, as counterintuitive as it is, um, to remember the power of always being a beginner. And then lastly, I think all of our inner critics are going to hate this one, but what a testimony you are about when we step out of our comfort zone, like cold calling people, how that can open up a wild journey of possibilities. It's so poetic listening to you speak. I want to thank you so much for our time together today. And thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's very exciting to have an opportunity to talk with you. I always enjoy those conversations and I only wish that the, that we, the interviewee and interviewer were reversed so I could hear your thoughts. well in the meantime be safe in mississippi and enjoy those uber rides all right thanks we'll talk to you later sandy have a great day bye thanks for tuning in do you like this open book series we're trying so it would mean the world to us if you left us a review or rating where you listen to podcasts and if there's a book you'd like us to cover just send us a quick email at support at sandyscottllc.com with podcast in the subject line. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, here's to leading and living on purpose. Mm -hmm.